you know, living in Tennessee, I'm going to guess that most of you have, don't spend too much time in the ocean. <laughs> Maybe one of the lakes around here, I don't know, if whatever the one was up in north of Nashville, I don't know if it's Old Hickory or what the name is, but enjoy going up there, but at least... When you're on a lake, you can kind of see land, and you kind of know where you're at. You can get some direction. But now, if you've ever traveled on the ocean, even then, when you're traveling in the ocean, you have direction. I know that growing up in Hawaii, I got to learn about the ancient Hawaiians and the Polynesians and how they traveled all throughout the Pacific and how they would navigate via the stars and know how to get from place to place. And not only that, they were able to use the currents so that even by the, the way the oceans rolled and, and went to and fro, they could understand where they were. And then you combine the stars in the, the ocean as the way the ocean would behave and even land masses that would look nothing like dots to you and I. They would combine with the location of the stars at night or the rising of the sun in the morning or in the evening. And with it, they knew exactly where they were going and why. Now, stop and think of people over the, the years, especially before technology and communication came in, when they had no clue of where they were, did not know how to navigate via the stars, didn't understand land masses and, and what they represented, and how easy it was for them when they came into, whether it's any part of the world, but near the equator, and get stuck in this place that we now refer to as the doldrums. This is glassy water. Really beautiful. I love glassy water. From there, you just, you're calm and you can see easily in the water and the depths and do your fishing and what have you. But on the flip side to that, it's like no man's land. I really think that sometimes when we lose sight of our goals... We're going through this no man's land. And it's easy for any one of us, as we go through life, to forget the goals of what we have, what lies before us, and go into these doldrums. In high school, I saw a ton of kids who looked bored to death in class. But when the swells came, they had purpose in life all of a sudden. <laughs> they would go surfing. And they would be able to get themselves up out of that slumber, if you will, and go do something. Now, what they were doing, they shouldn't have been doing, cutting class and so on and so forth. But there was something that motivated them to do. On the wrestling team, guys had no goals, never really did well. The guys that had goals worked so hard at a particular direction that they excelled. You saw the difference between those who were in their doldrums, if you will, and those that weren't. And so whatever facet of life, whatever the realm is, that happens. And this even happens within the body of Christ. It does. There are Christians that serve the Lord for decades, and sometimes they get to the point where, I don't even know why I'm doing what I do. And question their faith. Question their service to the Lord question all the activities that they do, and they go through what I guess I would refer to as spiritual doldrums. And I remember giving this sermon a couple of years back because there were brethren going through this very thing. 
There's nothing new under the sun. This happens. But when we look at this, we wonder, well, what is that? How do you get to this point? What is that it, it factor, if you will, that happens or that you just don't do that brings you from having this goal that you can see so clear that causes you to live in such a manner as to glorify your God to all of a sudden kind of just wandering about? And brethren, not all of us goes to the same extreme. I mean, when you talk about doldrums, they are synonymous with depression, with um, despondency, listlessness, whatever it may be. It could even be something along the lines of indifference. But whatever it is, we get to this place and, and we may not know how we got here. We may have just lost course, if you will. But it happens. And when it does, we kind of just shut down. And when we shut down, we're just like in the, the literal doldrums where you just can't paddle anywhere. You can't go anyplace. You're stuck. And the little that you might do, because there is no course in your life, you end up going in circles. Kind of like when you're in the Amazon without a trail. <laughs> you somehow end up doing that circle thing and you're forever lost. Same thing in the equator with these doldrums. And the same thing happens in our lives. I believe God uses these physical phenomenons for what goes on within our life, whether it's spiritually, socially, what, whatever. And that happens then again with regard to, to Christians. We become stagnant, listless or despondent or whatever synonym you might use for the way we go about living our life and going through the daily motion, if you will, and it becomes just that. Just the daily motion. We feel like those sailors traveling through those doldrums in the equator. How helpless it must be. You know, the thing about this is that when we get to this point, there are two groups, generally speaking, with regard, regard to these doldrums. The first group, you know, when you're in this state of lifelessness, you, you find yourself looking and, and doing things and questioning what you're doing. You, you just don't seem to be stimulated. And that's what we're talking about with the scripture reading that Dan read for us. We're told to consider one another in verse 23. Actually looking, what can I do to consider, to be thinking about you? So that I have some purpose in my life, which is to stir up love and good works, we're told. In verse 24. But we no longer do we stir up or have the desire to be stirred up. And one of the things that I get encouraged about Jerry, and it really is an encouragement. He always seems to just say the right thing to encourage me, uh, you know, as, as my day gets started. It could be seven in the morning. We're, we're going to have a Bible study or something. And, and he'll just say something. And I enjoy that. I enjoy seeing, where is Diane? I don't see her right now. <laughs> She's back there. Okay. <laughs> there you are. Seeing Diane and... And having a desire to cheer her up this morning because she could use a smile. And I enjoy when she smiles because that encouraged me. It's just this, but when we're in one of these listless parts of our life that we don't care for that. Or how about simply just manifesting or wanting to receive that love? We're told in Hebrews 13 to be this way. To have this kind of love for one another. And the thing is, when we look at this spirit, it is a spirit in need of restoration. 
And I, and I remember Steve asking me yesterday, he says, what are you preaching on tomorrow? And I said, I'm preaching on spiritual doldrums. And there was a song, I forgot now, it's like something along the lines of having your spirit restored. That's really what is needed. And the thing is, you've got those two groups then that you're in these doldrums. And once you've entered these doldrums, these two groups will display behavior that may be the same, but their reaction toward them eventually comes out to a different conclusion. And I want us to look at these doldrums because once you're in them, I want you to note it's almost like a downward spiral that you get in and everything becomes even more disheartening. It's easy to become dissatisfied when you're in this position. You're not satisfied with yourself. You're not satisfied with the way you live in service to the Lord and and it's easy then to become dissatisfied even among your own brothers and sisters in Christ. It happens. Brethren, this is nothing new that I'm talking about. But it's a reality of, of what brethren go through. And you may be going through that right now. There may be a number of us in this room that may say, you know what? Mitch, this is exactly how I feel. I know this because when I preached on this before, that's exactly what brethren said. That's, this is how I feel right now. I thought I was the only one going through this. Becomes dissatisfied. And you now, in dissatisfaction, begin to look at things differently and start seeing things. And you might even search for things to become dissatisfied with. And it's almost that self-fulfilling prophecy, if you will. Gives me the reason to be dissatisfied. And then you go further into this entrenched area called the doldrums. Worse yet, I've seen this happen among saints. In such despondency, completely leave the Lord. And we've probably known, brethren, over time that have left the Lord because they're stuck and they want something. They're looking for something. But they're stuck in these doldrums. And so it's like the, the, the grass is green on the other side. I'm looking for something. And in search as if you're in that desert with the mirage, if you will. And you're thinking that what you have is something great before you. But you're still stuck in this doldrum. You're looking for greener pastures. You're looking for something to get out of this. Because you don't like being in this. This is what happens when we enter it. Well, how do you get out of this? I want you to look at some passages. We're going to look at some in, in Romans, some other places in Galatians and what have you. And then we're going to finish off. It's not in the slides here, but we're going to finish off in the book of James. I believe James deals specifically with this that I want to hit home with. But I want us to note, just as Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 and 24 is telling us to stir up love and good works, well, we see that manifestation found in Romans chapter 12. And I want us to look there. Here is the body of Christ. God gives us gifts. James chapter 1 verse 17 tells us, you know, God gives us wonderful gifts. And within these gifts that he's given to us, it is used for the intent purpose of not only glorifying our God, but to build each other up. Think of what he says. In verse 9, he says, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be kindly affectionate. To one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. It's the same concept as was given in Hebrews chapter 10. 
And so when you're in these doldrums, I know, I mean, this is going to be academic to start with. I mean, we know to do this. But you've got to at least get past this first part. You've got to understand that you've got to keep doing the will of God. Now, there's going to be the why and hopefully the goal in mind that brings forth that motivation. But this is just the beginning of understanding how you get out of these or how you get through these doldrums. When we don't stir up loving good works, we have no desire for this next part. But it's this very next part that is essential to getting through this. It's almost like you're in these doldrums and you're paddling and you're paddling waiting to get out. At some point, eventually you do. It happens. But you've got to have the mind of Christ where you're always seeking others. What can I do to help, to build up, to lift up someone else? And it helps you in some small way, if not a great way, to do this. But you've got to not stop. You cannot grow weary in doing good, we're told. In fact, um, when we look at this mindset, it's got to start with the heart. It's got to start with the heart that desires everything that is good, everything that will cause you to be pleasing to God. Isn't that what Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9 tells us? To think on these things. Think on things that bring glory to God. If I asked you what the purpose of you being here, what would you say? I think some of you would, would say, well, it's to remember the death of our Lord and our Savior. And you'd be right. What did he do for you? He gave you the gift of salvation. How do you respond? He gave me the gift of salvation or, man, my sins have been forgiven. I cannot help but rejoice in my God. I mean, what a difference between those two. Why else do we come together? We are told to come together so that we can stir up love and good works. We can build each other up. And I don't think that what we have in, that was given in the first century was limited to just the, the building here on a Sunday morning. Brethren, coming together, sharing in each other's lives, being one in Christ. I believe that assembling is even broader than just a quote-unquote worship service when you look at Hebrews 10, verse 25. There's a reason, there's a purpose, there's a goal behind that purpose. And you've got to start with the thought that you have. What can I do when I come to be with my brethren? In the doldrums, we don't want any part of these things here. I mean, we may want it in word, but in action, we do just the opposite. And it's hard to get out of this funk as a result. How do you get through these doldrums? Well, these are some of the things that naturally are just biblical things that you do. But there's something beyond this. This is where when we look at Romans chapter 8, then we go to James chapter 1 and James chapter 4. And we'll finish in that text. We are told that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord. Do you love the Lord? That's the, I think, the crux of where we're at. When someone is in the doldrums, you have to ask yourself, do you love the Lord? 
You see, God so loved this world, He gave us His Son. He did something out of that love. There was a manifestation that comes from that love that did something on behalf of someone else. The response on our end is faith. So I want you to look at James chapter 1, and we begin in verse 17, then we'll skip down to verse 22 following, and, and see if maybe this does not come to the, the crux of, of these doldrums. It says in James chapter 1, as we begin here in, oh, I'm in the wrong passage here. James chapter 1, verse 17. He says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Out of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be the kind of first fruits of his creatures. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And then he goes on to say this in verse 21 following. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness, overflow of wickedness. Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. And note this. Be doers of the word. Not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. And if we brought in the context to what this is talking about, to someone who is in this situation, in these doldrums, this is a person who understands that God gave me his son that I could have everlasting life. And he has told me to come, take up my cross, and follow him. And I'm told... In Romans 28, uh, in Romans 8, verse 28, that if I love him, he'll work all things together. And then in verse 29, he tells me to be made in the image or to be conformed in the image of his son. I have a direction that I'm going. And I know then that the promise that God has given me is everlasting life. But when I forget what everlasting life means, I forget what. And I, we had this Bible study yesterday morning, and one of the elders said, Mitch, I'd love for you to preach on a sermon on hell. When we forget the wrath of God, and we forget the joys of heaven, we lose sight of purpose. We don't have our sight set on where we're headed, and we get stuck in these doldrums. And it's the same principle as given here, where we, we forget the kind of man that we are. We forget the mirror that we looked in when we saw the need for salvation, when we solve the need to be made in the image of our God. But those, verse 25 tells us, those who look into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one is blessed in what he does. James then goes on in the second chapter and he talks about this manifestation of faith, right? He goes on to talk about you have your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. And he illustrates that even into the third chapter until you get to that fourth chapter when he's done with these illustrations. And notice what he says in verse 17. After he discusses all this matter about faith in which we have direction, we're looking to the God whom we seek. We seek to please him and we seek to glorify him in every way that we live. And people see that purpose and direction in our lives. And then the one who is despondent and the one who is stuck in these doldrums that have no direction may have direction in every asset um, or aspect of their life but the Lord. 
And they may have this direction where they can do all these things and be a great example from that standpoint. But when it comes to the Lord himself, may lose sight. Then I want these words to stick well with you. I want it to encourage you, but also even, if necessary, to reprove you. He concludes and says, Therefore, to him who does or who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it's sin. When you know to do good, and you know that that's what faith is, the manifestation of doing the will of God, it is the very reason why we exist to give our lives to the one who made us, who created us to glorify Him. For us, when we know God's will and don't do it, we end up in these doldrums. And it starts off with a heart that says, Lord, I want to be back with you. I want to be with you. But those who know this and don't care to get out of this, this is the result. You will lose your soul. That's a sad thing to say. And there are brethren every day losing their soul. Christians, blood bought, tasting the gift of salvation, dying in their sins. It's a sad thing. This is the reality. Brethren, you know that if we saw a ship like this stuck in these doldrums, what would you do? Have a good day. Hope you paddle strong enough. I sure hope not. Because that's not what the body does, right? Do you know that when you take upon the very nature of God, it is against God's nature to heal that which is wounded. Your body naturally heals itself if, you know, when you're made, right? You get a bruise, somehow, whatever goes on in the body, all you scientists and biologists know these things, you start healing. Get a cut, body goes to work, heals that cut. You break your, your, your finger or whatever, and somehow it goes to what it needs to do to be healed. Same thing within the body of Christ. David prayed at the beginning of the service that when someone is sorrowful, what do we do? We have sorrow with them. With them. If someone is rejoicing, do we get jealous? He didn't deserve that. That's for me. <laughs> or do we rejoice with them? I think it's very important because there are those that may not care, but we can care for them. You may be in this very position right here. I believe if I were to preach this every year, eventually someone would say, this is what I'm faced with right now in my life. Or I have gone through this. Or I know of someone who's going through this because it happens. Brethren, if this is happening to you, please, please don't have an indifferent spirit. 
You could read in Revelation chapter 3 of the church whereupon there were those who were lukewarm and Jesus said, I'm going to spew, spew you out because you think you have no need of me, but you're in need. You need to buy the goodness of, of all that God has, the great gifts that he has so that you don't end up right here. And if you do end up here, I want you to stop and think of this. If you continue, eventually, your influence is going to spread. And you'll see others become this way. Everything you do, you influence. Whether you're a great example, you influence with great examples. And, and that influence is a positive thing. And just as there is great sin and, and divisiveness, that influence. And the same thing is true with despondency. It influences. Stop and think of what you're doing. Think of your need for the Lord. Your means by which you can come back. Your God is wanting you back. So that we can have joys once again.